0: Like, I would get drunk quite easily. I would want more. I wouldn't want to stop. Um, And now I know, well, I know now looking back, I was probably suppressing and numbing much bigger, more complex emotions that were going on on the inside. And, you know, if we think about ADHD, Gabor Maté sees it as a response to developmental trauma. So maybe at some point that was an issue there. But as women, we mask. So I looked like a good girl, like there was no problem, that kind of thing. But there was a rich inner world going on on the inside. And I think it just helped me numb out my overactive thoughts um, and a lot of stuff that I didn't understand at the time to do with transgenerational trauma. Hello, and welcome to Behind The Mother Mask. I'm your host, Annie Breen, registered nutritional therapist, master NLP practitioner, and transformational coach for exhausted mums who don't feel enough. My mission with this podcast is to lead with vulnerability by starting to lift the psychological mask you wear each day that protects you and others from the stuff that's hard to explain and talk about. It's about sharing from the middle, not just the open wounds or the healed scabs, but the messy middle. Let's go for honesty over perfection, because I believe when you transform yourself, you automatically transform your relationships and parenting by passing down wisdom, not wounds. So if you're up for that, you definitely don't need to do it alone. I'm here to lead you on what could be the greatest adventure of your life, behind the mother mask, back home to yourself. Hello, how are you? Welcome back to episode 24 of Behind the Mother Mask. Now, this week, I have had a bit of a sore throat and yes, I know I should shut up. (laughs) Can't help it. Um, But actually, because of that, I'm going to do something a little bit different this week and it feels just right. I'm going to release an episode that I did with Terry from Sassy Sober Mum. So I went on her podcast, um, Sober Stories for Everyday People, a couple of months ago now. And the episode has recently come out. And I have to say, it was awesome. (laughs) I was like, Dan, you have to listen to this. (laughs) But it was awesome because she is amazing and lovely. And we just gel and get on. And we had a great conversation. And she's also been on this podcast. If you want to hear her sober story, you can go back and listen to it. But we were talking about exactly that. It was my um, sobriety, I can't say that word, story and journey of um, three years. I've been without alcohol now. And my kind of relationship with alcohol over the years, um, we were talking specifically about alcohol, but this, th- these kind of binging behaviors or addictive behaviors kind of um, rippled out to other things as well. So we kind of go on this hedonistic journey. Um, and what was so, so interesting is I don't talk about this all the time, like freely on social media and and stuff and in my work, but actually it's a huge part of me and my journey and how I help you and help mums today and my approach. And to go through the darkness of addiction and numbing the pain and escaping and trying to find something, but not knowing what that is, Like, I can absolutely connect and relate to that. But also being able to see life on the other side, to shine a light on the path forward. Like, I totally get it. I can't compare my situation to yours. And maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe there's other emotional crutches. Maybe there's behaviors that are not helpful, that are actually draining you, but you feel stuck in these kind of relentless patterns. I totally get that because what's so interesting is what behind it is often the same thing, an outdated belief, a need and a desire to kind of feel a certain way. Essentially, everything we do is a means to an end to feel a certain way. And it's like what or Matty said, not why the addiction, but why the pain? What are we trying to numb? What are we trying to work through, understand or escape? So, so interesting. So I hope you enjoy it. And that sounded quite serious, what I was just saying there. And I have to say, the episode is not that serious. <laughs> Some of my antics that I got up to um, on reflection, I'm not condoning them, um, are quite funny. But anyway. I hope you enjoy it. Please let me know if you relate to that. And just quickly off the back of that, I've decided to re-release, or sorry, re-deliver my masterclass Break Your Binge Cycle. And I'm coming up with a snazzy tagline. (laughs) So watch this space. And I think I'm going to do it on the 8th of December. But the link to sign up is in the show notes and the full details. And this is really for you if you can relate to what I'm saying if you feel trapped in these kind of relentless draining overwhelming patterns of cycles of leaning on things like quick fix solutions whether that's sugar alcohol scrolling social media shopping in order to feel better to feel a certain way to escape but actually what ends up happening is they make you feel like shit so If you can relate to that in a nutshell, I'd love to hear from you first of all, and let me know what your binging kind of behavior is and why you think that is. And secondly, sign up. It's going to be awesome. I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but this really is an area that I have been through. I get, I understand, I'm passionate about talking about from an inside out approach, not why the behavior, but what's the need, not why the addiction, but why the pain. And I'm going to talk to you and show you what is behind those behaviors and what you can do to start to break that cycle. And this is for the long term with lasting results, you know, we're kind of done with quick fix solutions here. Um, We want our time and energy back, right? We don't want to feel overwhelmed. We don't want to feel trapped. We don't want to be living in the shadows anymore. We want to step up. Now I'm going to get off my little hobby horse before I um, actually do have a hobby horse here (laughs) before I made my throat even more croaky, but I hope you enjoy it. Let me know and please sign up to the masterclass link in the show notes. So, without further ado, let's get into the episode that I did with Terry from Sassy Soberman.
1: Hello, and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today, I have the lovely Annie from Scotland, who's been sober for three years. Um, She got sober the same year that I did. So I got sober in the April of 2019, and she got sober in the June of 2019, Uh, She's also the host of a brilliant podcast called Behind the Mother Mask. And I was recently a guest on your show,
0: Annie. So it's so lovely to have you here and to reconnect. Oh, so lovely. And thank you. And actually, I'm really excited um, to be able to talk about this because it's probably not something that I talk about daily but it's a huge part of who I am and the work that I now do so um, I'm really excited to have this conversation.
1: I'm excited too and I am lucky that I've already had a great chat with you so I know you have so much good stuff to say uh, lots of wisdom so um, yeah let's let's jump in let's understand a little bit more about you Uh, so please introduce
0: yourself. This is really funny because recently I've had quite a few new followers on Instagram, as I'm sure you can relate to your amazing account. Um, So I've been thinking about my about me post and Terry, I've put it off because I can't fit my life into that square. Um, So I'll try and keep it brief. Um, But yes, I live in Scotland. I'm not from Scotland as you can probably hear, Um, but I live here with my husband. We actually moved here because he got a job as a snowboard coach He doesn't do that anymore, but that's how we ended up here. And uh, we have a daughter, Bonnie, who is a destroyer of worlds. She's come into our life in a very positive way to teach us um, all the things that we need to learn about ourselves to be better people. (laughs) She's very headstrong and spirited, and she's six. Um, I know you can probably relate. You've got three girls. Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> I was liking how 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 uh, eloquent that
1: was <laughs> she's very spirited
0: <laughs> very spirited it is like you know me being reflected back and that's a hard lesson to yeah, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. but I'm uh, yes yeah, so I am a coach I'm a transformational coach I work with mums and the main kind of modalities that I use or the w- the way that I support mums is through NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. And that's really helping people to understand their inner world and their limiting beliefs and values and these kind of unconscious programming that drives their behavior. And I couple that with nutritional therapy and functional medicine, which I absolutely love because I don't think you can separate the mind and the body. And that's what I've learned through my Journey and previous kind of alcohol, drugs, etc., <laughs> is that we need to look at ourselves and people as a whole and holistically. So um, I tend to, and it's really actually, it's hard. We're just talking about limiting beliefs, you know. I work with mums who are exhausted, overwhelmed, anxious, but who isn't? But I think the common kind of beliefs, and this is what I've experienced, is that kind of feeling of being broken and not enough. And like there's something wrong with you and this kind of um worry that we might be damaging our kids in some way so a big part of my work is kind of looking at that and it's looking at your energy it's looking at your identity and sense of purpose but also unresolved trauma and how they all come together um i'm a rock star like i should have been a rock star i'm not a rock star i should have been i wanted to be a blue peter presenter i wanted to be on Hollyoaks. um i still want to be on stage but now it's much more around inspirational speaking and not rocking out i did play the bass guitar i love festivals i love rock music i'm not really a surface level person like i don't really enjoy talking about the weather and you know this kind of surface chat although I'm happy to share my body temperature <laughs> <laughs> I really like to go beneath the surface, and I think I've always been like that like I'm a very empathic, kind of sensitive person, and um I do have i was diagnosed with a d h d at the age of thirty eight and I kind of describe that as walking around like a raw nerve that I just pick up on everything and that can be a blessing and a curse. Um, but I think it really helps me empathize with my clients and who I'm here to kind of work with and be the mum that I want to be. Um, I think on, I don't know if you've ever done the Enneagram test, but I'm like a four, which is the same as Glennon Dial. <laughs> I love her. Right. Um And my basic fear in life is not having any significance or identity. (laughs) And that probably goes back to wanting to be on stage and be seen, but equally hide away. Um, and my basic desire is really to be myself. And I think there's definitely a big part of me that is the rebel, which may have got me into my drinking antics and stuff in, in the past. But ultimately I think I'm just on this journey to find myself and find out more. And, um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Sorry if it went off on some tangents.
1: <laughs> no, it's absolutely perfect. Um, Glennon Doyle, yeah, that rings a bell. I'm sure I listened to a podcast with her. Has she got a the, the, this rebel thing you just mentioned.
0: That uh, What's that book from? So she has a podcast called We Can Do Hard Things, and her book is Untamed. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so... Yes, so that's definitely been a characteristic in me because I grew up as a bit of a good girl and that's definitely not who I am today. And I think sometimes, which I'm sure we'll go into, is to go your own way and put yourself in the centre and do what's right for you. You need to be a bit of a rebel. Yeah, It is a courageous act to be yourself yes. um, and it's not easy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, can I ask, what made you seek the diagnosis in in ADHD, because there is a lot of um, links, isn't there, between women ADHD and problematic drinking? Let's say.
0: Oh, God, yes, and this could be a podcast in itself. I actually did record. This was one of the first episodes I did for why I did my podcast. So I kind of recorded my journey there. But in a nutshell, um, I had COVID in last, it was August, it was 2020, 2020, I think. And honestly, like, it's like that virus did something weird to my nervous system. And it's not the only thing. And I think there was a lot of other things going on. I was trying to up-level my business, do more high ticket. I became very focused on money. I kind of strangled the joy out of my work and the mission that I'm trying to do in the first place Um, got kind of smothered. And my health went really badly downhill to like, it must have, no, it was 2021, sorry. And that Christmas was terrible. And then I saw my friend, Kate Moyuseff launched her podcast on ADHD and women's well being. And I resonated with what she was saying. And I thought, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. It made a lot of sense in terms of the symptoms mm-hmm. and how it manifests differently. So, for example, like hyperactivity is more about hyperactivity in the brain and the mind, not just being that kind of busy kid that can't sit still. It's like you can't switch your brain off and I just thought that maybe most people were like that or there was something wrong with me Mm. um so constant overthinking easily overwhelmed highly sensitive um and you're absolutely right honestly you look back on your journey and you look at your your past, you look at your drinking, you look at your behaviors, you look at your hormonal patterns, because there's a huge link there. Postnatal depression, was it really? When I look at having this information now, it's a cluster of different kind of factors. It makes a lot of sense, like having a child and already being in this kind of chronic state of overwhelm. It's almost like you're sensitive to everything, like I said, being that raw nerve. So Mm -hmm. that was really interesting Um, but what I will just say is from that because I'm a very holistic kind of person innately I go towards more naturopathic methods medication wasn't an option for me it's just not who I am so I got some help and worked with another functional medicine practitioner because I don't think you can do this alone and did a bunch of tests and really looked at what was going on inside my body and that has been empowering because it puts you more at the cause and not the effect and not the label but actually when I had the diagnosis I was a little bit like oh well I'm still left with me great where shall I take this um so I went down that path and I'll tell you this now I'm feeling I wouldn't be doing this now with you if I was feeling how I was like I'd stopped working for nearly a year so I'm feeling so much better with my focus the brain fog isn't there so much I'm able to actually um get stuff done. My energy is back. Like I feel better. It was almost like my nervous system fell apart and everything was disconnected and I couldn't make sense of stuff. And it's so, so much better. And I'm still on that journey. So I'm hearing a lot of women identify with these symptoms and get diagnosed later on. Um, It's really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, You never know who might be listening to this mm. and might think oh my god she's telling she's telling my story here yeah. and that might prompt a, a chain of actions to, to help somebody else so um yeah thank you I really appreciate that so uh switching back into uh the drinking um
0: describe your life with alcohol Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologize if I laugh. Like I'm not to trivialize it, but I do use humor um, quite a lot. It's how I've kind of managed to get through. But Through life, I'm, yeah, So <laughs> Yeah, so I've been without alcohol for three and a bit years. And actually this year I forgot the anniversary or whatever. Um, I totally forgot. And that's a sign that it's really not in my life anymore. Um, but it was. To going back to when I, I want to say six, but I feel like Bonnie wouldn't do this, but I was putting the head, my head under the optics in my dad's pub. He had like a restaurant, um, and me and my brother would go and drink the Baileys because it was just it tastes so nice. Um, <laughs> so I was brought up in the environment of hospitality. My dad was a real host. He had like a real passion for wine, um, but very much from a sociable point of view and appreciation, like with a good meal around people um, really kind of traditional, almost his, his thing with the food was around French food. So it was a bit more European and I kind of could see it was, it looked healthy to me, like um, how he was living his life and positive. And it was, and I think for me, I, when I got to 13 or 14, I just rebelled. I remember I used to do competitive dressage. So I was trained by this Olympic trainer who's amazing. But when I was 13, I was in this caravan in like stone the wild, having to decide whether I'm going to go and be his head groom. And that could have taken me down an Olympic kind of pathway and opportunities or do something else and this is where the kind of train spotting situation came in I chose something else but I didn't know what that was and at 13 I remember just lying in his caravan not knowing who the hell I was and when I think back as my fear is having no significance or identity and my desire to be myself I didn't know who I was and there's a whole story backstory to why that is which I'm sure we'll touch on but I felt lost and I felt like I was a child having to make adult decisions um so giving up the horses was almost like going against my mum's passion as well and what my parents had kind of given me um in search of myself and something else but I didn't really know what that was so when I went to college I moved out at 16 I I literally did kind of just break away and moved out and this is where I ended up getting into music and festivals and drinking before that I was the person that went out with school friends and drunk on the school roof and like in the car parks and stuff. But we, we would dress up and we did do it quite nicely. <laughs> um, but I moved school in my GCSE year. So that's another kind of significant change, having to make new friends. Um, so the drinking was probably very much to fit in, but it affected me quite significantly. Like I would get drunk quite easily. I would want more I wouldn't want to stop um and now I know or I know now looking back I was probably suppressing and numbing much bigger more complex emotions that were going on on the inside and you know if we think about ADHD Gabor Mate sees it as a response to developmental trauma um so maybe at some point that was an issue there but as women we mask so I looked like a good girl like there's no problem that kind of thing but there was a rich inner world going on on the inside and I think it just helped me numb out my overactive thoughts um and a lot of stuff that I didn't understand at the time to do with transgenerational trauma didn't know any of that so I was drinking and then college is where it kind of stepped up like I would literally go out of college to drink at the pub but what I have to be honest with drugs were very closely i was never i wasn't drinking for long without drugs like they came in probably when i was 17 18 glastonbury 2000 that was it for me david bowie and a lot of fucking acid and pills and <laughs> and there was no going back um and drink so drink has always been there it's almost been like this kind of life-sucking companion or bolster to the other things that I went on to take in this bid to kind of numb find myself escape find freedom have fun all of this Mm -hmm. um I can give you just a bit of a lowdown drinking it's got me arrested it's got me in trouble I've lost my license um I've had to be through gone through the court process. This is all in the past, by the way. Um, and it's got me in some terrible kind of situations around relationships. I've done some stupid things. Um, like I would be the person that would climb over my car dressed as a tiger. I was just wearing a leopard print dress. Um, yeah. and just silly things, some borderline dangerous, and You know, people would say to me after I'd given up booze that I wasn't a good drunk. Okay. Um, I thought I did it really well. But okay, no, that makes sense because um, I wasn't. But you kind of think where were people to kind of help you or step Mm. in. But I think I was carrying this whole inner load, this inner world. And it was just like pouring fuel on the fire Mm. of that. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah be a lot more Uh, uh,
1: yeah um it's it's quite mad isn't it when you reflect um and you think about some of the situations that you allowed yourself to get into um like you I had those sorts of moments you know I, I I remember going on holiday to Lanzarote uh with with quite a new boyfriend in my mid 20s I think I was 24 or 25 and on the first night of that holiday I drank so many blue drinks in kind of knickerbocker glory style glasses um, that I ended up in in an ambulance and I remembered when I was in that ambulance as well I had this weird kind of surreal situation happened where i woke up and i thought I- all these people were trying to hurt me and i was fighting and punching them or you know i was obviously lying on a on a, on a bed in the back of a ham- an ambulance and it felt like we were in the desert and i thought they were going to take me and shoot me or something really dark and horrific mm. um, and i just woke up the next morning obviously i'd been in hospital and my you know at the time new boyfriend was there and th- it was just horrendous the shame Weirdly went out and drank that night as well. I mean, it's like, why do you do these things? You know, it and and yeah, so like you, there was a series of what you could probably define as mini rock bottoms if if you wanted to give it a label. But yet for me, 24, I carried on drinking for another 15, 16 years before I decided to, you know, to quit. And and those moments did still pop up throughout the years. So yeah, it's a weird drug,
0: alcohol, isn't it? You just, you got to keep taking it at all costs. It's it's so weird because back then it was not my drug of choice. It was just a cushion. It was almost like the burger bun to the burger, which was more the drugs. And it was the pathway to that. It was always the pathway to trouble. Mm. You know, I wouldn't just go out and take drugs you'd have drink and you'd end up on that pathway or even around you know self-harm I used to do that a lot and it always happened not when I was sober like when Mm. I was under the influence and just to think about it being such a depressant and thinking about like neurotransmitters and nervous system and all this stuff and the impact of unresolved trauma and maybe some of those ADHD type symptoms it was just putting fuel on the fire to really lowering my mood and my resilience, and how inflammatory it is as well. Like, oh, when I think about what I put in my body and what I did to myself, and like you, it went on for years. I had some real low moments, but it kept on. And even after, so sorry, in 20, 2004, this is a good story. <laughs> <laughs> I I um, detoxed in a rehabilitation center in Thailand <laughs> for drugs. So I went to the biggest drug capital of the world to get off them. But it was like a Buddhist monastery. And um, I've only got fond memories of this. That's why I'm smiling. I was a big fan of the rock band Slipknot back then. And literally when I got there, we had to give our things over and put on these orange pajamas. So I literally looked like a band member of Slipknot. Um, but... It was so bizarre because the reason I was there was because of heroin. It wasn't because of alcohol. It wasn't because of coke, ketamine, acid, all the other things. Um, heroin and methadone, because I thought that I had gone too far and my body literally said no. Um so i ended up there that's another story and i went through their process of detoxification which was very much about taking these crazy herbs interestingly i take herbs now for my hormones and they taste the same but with these i had to vomit them back up um and you would do this for 10 days to detox your body and it would be like an entertainment thing for local schools. They'd come and watch you do the VOM show. <laughs> it is crazy, yeah. um, but you know, whatever. Um, so I did that and we had to get up at five and sweep the monastery and there was something in that, like sweeping away the kind of bad thoughts or demons. And we had to sing the Thai national anthem each day twice. And we did steam baths and all sorts of things. Um, and whilst I was out there, I bought, I met this kind of, uh, he's a singer songwriter and he played the guitar and he'd written some songs and he'd been there for his own journey previously and he'd gone back to do some music stuff so I ended up buying a bass guitar and I was allowed on the last day to play with him on stage um, <laughs> at this Buddhist festival in my orange pajamas so surreal <laughs> I know. So here's the thing about that. That worked in terms of detoxification. But when I left, I was left with myself. And I was left with all the demons, the ghosts in the walls, the suppressed things that I didn't really understand. And I continued to drink because that was socially acceptable. It's the only drug we're kind of encouraged to do. Mm. Um, Whereas I stripped back the other things, I did continue with that. And I continued, that was 2004, and obviously I gave up in 2019. Mm. So you can only imagine the battle, the inner conflict that you go through, because you know deep down it's not good for you that you don't need it, all of this stuff, but you keep going. And I think things changed with motherhood for me.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually, um, because motherhood would have come a few years before you stopped if I've got my maths right there Uh, so can you just describe what that few years was like you know uh, obviously um you you had a baby and then you had a few years and then you stopped drinking what what was that three years like describe that
0: right so having bonnie was the eruption of all my kind of unresolved stuff (laughs) so along with sleep deprivation along with the depletion um the isolation like all of this stuff so I did I didn't drink so I didn't drink in pregnancy I might have had one beer once and I didn't drink in the early days um oh but it crept in you know it did it did creep in quite early on um And I think what happened, it was that five o'clock drinking. It was such a coping mechanism on Reflect. Like it was just, I was exhausted. I was dealing with so much. I was wanting to be the best for Bonnie. There was just so much we did. We were renovating the house. We still are. We had no money. Dan was made redundant. Like there was just so much going on. And um, I did fall into this five o'clock drinking Pattern. And then I had two situations. I went out with this group of mums who it was a bit Tinderish in terms of we were together because we went to the same group, but we probably weren't soul aligned in terms of like being proper friends. But you know what? They were there. And I got wasted. Like I got so wasted. It's was awful. And I told everyone that I had postnatal depression because I felt ashamed of it. And it's the first time I told anyone. And then I came home and I was like, so well. Um, so there was that. And then the kind of five o'clock drinking continued because I didn't really go out in the evening that much anymore. And then the big turning point was 2019, um, 2019- i'd gone to see my friends two really good friends in london and loved them like really safe environment loved them we went to next door neighbor's barbecue and i just had a great time and drank too much gin and didn't eat enough but it was an awful lot of alcohol compared to what i had drunk and i was so ill i was sick like it was awful and i had to travel back from london to edinburgh the next day and i was a mum and faced bonnie and it was the last straw.
1: Yeah.
0: Talking about being motivated by pain, that was it. Yeah. So it was from that that I decided to do a year no beer and didn't go back.
1: Oh, oh I really, I feel um, that pain and shame um, when you describe that because, yeah, I, I, I say this a lot on the show, but my last night was basically just a, a night where I drank too much didn't eat enough drank too much too quickly yeah I'd really press the fuck it button on yeah that night. It's like let's just go for it let's just yeah. go we, we can we're, we're away from home I'm away from the kids for the night we can just do this and I woke up and I was in all kinds of pain and shame and regret and I had to go home and face my, my husband who was my fiance then and my kids who were coming back at four o'clock and I just I thought I just thought that I couldn't cope with that That was horrible I couldn't cope with that the anxiety was immense and I just remembered being so desperate for it to be bedtime so that I could go to sleep and try and wake up better the next oh. day but I made my decision that same day you know wow. I that that morning, I think that morning yeah. or that lunchtime I just thought I can't that's it that is it. I can't do it. It's amazing, isn't it? That sort of that, how, how negative and how bad that feeling is. And yet it pushes you into that period of growth. And so much
0: positivity comes from that, but it it starts off in a dark place, doesn't it? And, And honestly, like, this is me, this is my approach to life, but I do think like, the universe shoves you in the right direction. Like, I do believe in that, that there's more than just us. And, you know, not that we deserve to go through all this suffering and people have to go through that before they make the decision. But it just makes sense to me when I look back. um, And we can talk about what happened after that. But it just makes sense that that had to go for me to evolve and grow into the next level of my life. Yeah. um, 100%. Yeah, so let's let's expand on that a bit then. So that was the key defining
1: moment for you at mm-hmm. the start of your sober journey. You mentioned One Year No Beer, which is a fantastic organization. I I I very much delved into a lot of their philosophy and their podcasts and all of that sort of stuff in the beginning as well. Because so I I I I found a lot of comfort, even though I wanted to stop forever, I liked the way that they were approaching you know, let's just get through the first year sort of thing. So what else did you do? And just talk us through
0: how you got sober. So I literally just gave it up. And it's quite interesting because it was a hard year after... (laughs) I'd say it's been a hard three years, but it's not just bad. It's good and bad. But I think for me... And what I've said to people in the past is that I feel everything. So to take away the alcohol, I know what I'm left with is true. Whatever that is, however intense that is, whatever comes up, it is me. Mm. And that felt, it felt good. It's also been hard to face myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what the journey has been afterwards. And, you know, the first six months I think were hard because of certain birthdays, family gatherings, events, things that I would normally drink at and use that as a kind of tool um, that I didn't. And honestly, I was faced with some quite, you know, challenges during that, those times. And I found them quite hard. But after I got past that six months and then into the summer, so that was around like Christmas and then into the summer where you just, oh, you see people in beer gardens and that kind of thing. I knew I was fine. And I got to a year and I was like, I'm just going to keep going. Mm. And I think then I knew that I probably wouldn't go back Mm -hmm. um the biggest temptations had kind of passed and that's when I really went further on this journey to finding out who I am you know the impact of alcohol one of my friend's husbands asked me like why I gave it up and I said to reduce inflammation on my body and support my detoxification pathways he's like I have never ever heard that um reason ever so, well, you know what, I, I am a nutritional therapist. I was being a functional medicine practitioner and helping people, but yet I was still putting things in my body that my body being sensitive and being that raw nerve couldn't cope with. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about what it did to my gut and my microbiome and my like liver and how, you know, we have to detoxify environmental toxins, hormones, stress hormones, alcohol, sugar. So the alcohol kind of blocks up the funnel in a way. So no wonder you start to hold on to fat. No wonder you start to have hormonal imbalances, brain fog, overwhelm because of inflammation. And that was something I was really interested in. And then obviously the more kind of entrenched stuff around the childhood trauma and my identity and who I am and who I'm becoming um, was able to come up and I was able to face it yeah. and go on that journey to recover who I really am, really, because I think it was masked by the substances and a lot of fear.
1: Mm. And that is that when you uh, launched your podcast as well, when you were going through that oh
0: sort of process of growth Well it's really funny the podcast has only been launched in june but i had another one before called be you mum and it's really interesting because after i had bonnie and i identified all these gaps that mums fall through um that weren't talked about um that's when about kind of two years I really struggled I started to come back and put this program and this work together and when I look back my mission has always been the same Mm. whether I've called it the Be Mum podcast whether I'm working with energy or I'm doing this my mission is has always been the same so um it's definitely about looking at those kind of the hidden mother load the stuff that we suppress and how that steals our energy and this whole masking thing is huge yeah. isn't it that's yeah. actually been through my life quite a lot so interesting when I think about now I've got a podcast called behind the mother mask yeah. because we hide who we truly are we're scared to be ourselves we're worried about what people think mm. and we're worried like you do an amazing job of this to talk about some of these past behaviors to talk about what I see as being survival strategies strategies that once served you but now are outdated outgrown they don't have their place anymore and ultimately you're just trying to meet a deeper need
1: yeah that's a really nice way of looking at it um so many people that reach out to me ask for help around how can they try to process the shame that they feel yes um that's wrapped up in their past drinking behavior or decisions. And, um, you know, that that is a, it, it is a difficult area, isn't it, to lift the lid on that and start to look at it and to accept it. And I think that's a really nice way that you described there, you know, at the end of the day, we are just trying to cope, with life trying to cope they're just strategies drinking is just a strategy at the time that culturally we've been raised to believe will fix everything Mm. and it is perfectly acceptable um and so you can see why people fall into that drinking trap and then obviously when you understand the brain science and how alcohol works you can really quickly identify why you make those bad decisions And you yeah. do stupid things but there is work to do there but I think that's a really nice way and I try to convey that when I reply to people and you know I say look you know I always felt like I was a good person just trapped in a bad cycle just just trapped in a in a bad coping mechanism you know alcohol wasn't very good for me and I just couldn't see that that doesn't you know it doesn't make me a bad person so that's helped me to forgive myself and to want to go back and hug myself in some ways because I see now that I was just quite vulnerable and lost and broken in some areas of my life um and that fosters a lot of compassion um so in did you read any life-changing
0: books I'm interested in, yeah, what can you, yeah. you I actually did, not necessarily alcohol focused, but I remember painting Bonnie's room and listening. So I listen to things, I don't read them. Um, Braving the Wilderness by Brenny Brown. And I no, just. Not wrote, Oh my God. So she breaks it down. It's all about being your authentic self. And sometimes that means being the rebel and stepping up and raising your standards and stepping away from the crowd and opting for courage over comfort. And that really resonated with me so much. And there was something in there that she said about showing up with a soft front, strong back and wild heart. That has... Oh, it gives me goosebumps. Yeah, same. You can be soft and sensitive and childlike, but you can also have the resilience, the backbone of your story. And you know what you were saying about people with shame, like if you zoom out on the bigger picture of your life and you look at your whole life story and understand it didn't always start with you and the generational story and what your doing oh my god it's your story that's your resource that becomes someone else's survival guide Mm. and am I going to let what people think get in the way of me sharing that no but Mm. it has been a journey and I think it's about you don't have to harden up you don't have to uh, armor up or mask or change that it's that vulnerability Mm -hmm. that I think really connects us and it relieves us of, of some of our suffering it's kind of our honesty is how we let go of some of these things and just saying them out loud and I don't think shame can exist when it's spoken um so yeah Brené Brown braving the wilderness and then I went on to read more of her stuff and, and, and other books as as well. Also, another really good one that I read from beginning to end, it's the only book I've ever finished, and Brené Brown's, is Fearless by Pippa Grange. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's how to win deep, not shallow. And she said, if, you're, if you are performing at life, you are not truly living your life. And how many of us perfect, please perform and put the mask on and be who we think we should be over who we truly are. Um, so that's another one.
1: Yeah. Do you know what? I think that a lot of people um, could say that they were performing at life. If they, I mean, to be honest, it takes a lot of awareness and yes. that approach of being really... Honest with yourself, which is quite hard. It is hard, um, but it is doable. But yeah, I, I think there's a. I think mm. there's probably a lot of that um, for sure. I'm really interested in that book. I've never heard of it before, so I'm inspired. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look that one up. Brilliant. Um, so yeah. So t- you mentioned that for the first six months, it was a bit of a. If I heard correctly, it was a bit of a bumpy ride in terms of emotionally. Um, can you just describe that a bit? How did you feel relating that to sobriety in sort of isolation, if that makes sense? How did you feel
0: about not drinking or not drinking anymore? It was definitely like I'd lost that emotional crutch. You know, it, it was this, the thing that I turned to to get through situations and also the social side, you know. Normally, if you're around family and stuff, the kids would go to bed and everyone would stay up. So that just changed for me. Yeah. It really did. You know, I value my energy and my alone time, and um, I would stay up if I'd had a drink. So I think not having that emotional crutch, not being able to or choosing not to suppress what was coming up and having to face it and having to change how I socially interacted and maybe, you know, boundaries around my social interaction as well. And uh, health-wise, you know, I lost weight. I lost inflammation from the body. Uh, My skin improved. Um, I felt better. I felt like it almost lifted that layer of complexity from my life because what I was left with was true. So I didn't have to go through the whole second guessing myself in a conflict. Did I say this? Did I say that? It took all of that away. So that was really positive. Mm. But I will say like for me, it has been a journey. There has been bigger things to face that if I'd continued to drink, I wouldn't have. So um, it's only positive. But I think it's having that courage. And like you said, the awareness to then face yourself and be kind to yourself. And as you're not drinking, you are having more energy. You're having more clarity. So I actually think sometimes it's the brain fog and the fatigue that gets in the way of that awareness. You know, we almost disconnect from our true self. So when we lift a layer of that and we start to probably eat well, just Mm. because we've given up, we're health focused, so we're eating better. I was, I drink a lot of water. So I was and exercising. So I was just feeling more able to cope with the other stuff that was coming up. I had the headspace for it. So, um, yeah, I think it was just, um, certain like family dynamics, certain situations, social situations, feelings that I would normally go and drink it wasn't an option anymore so I had to face I had to find different ways Mm -hmm. and that was probably giving myself grace and having alone time having that solitude going for a walk I'm a nutritional therapist so that's really important to me how I eat and how I nourish my body and um, looking at ways I can replenish after what has been a legacy of depletion
1: Yeah. (laughs) yeah yes Yeah. so beautifully put that isn't it and I think that it does take time doesn't mm. it? you know not not just mentally to readjust but physically um and some people will sometimes message me and say why am I not really thin, <laughs> A yeah. few thin or, and, and I know some people's initial reaction might be weight loss but I had an issue with sugar <laughs> once, yeah. I stopped, yeah. once I stopped drinking and um I could not stop eating chocolate and cakes and biscuits for several months actually. So whilst yeah. I definitely um lost some of the puffiness, I suppose, yes. on the inflammation, and certainly yeah. around my face and things like that, um, I I I didn't I had to tackle the sugar several months in and, yes. and make a conscious effort. To reduce it and you know move more, but you know I still struggle with that sometimes now, even though three and a half years in, I feel very stable in my sobriety mentally i'm very strong and I'm very equipped to handle all the changing world around me and and inside of me as well i i sort of i've learned i've practiced I like that word i've practiced dealing yes. with my feelings, and that has made me better at it, but at the moment. I am going through a phase of um, I am eating too much sugar and I'm not moving. And I've gone from being very good in the summer um, and having a great routine and it has completely just stopped. Now I have had some stress recently and I do think that's impacted a bit. And I and I'm trying to be kind to myself, like Terry, you know, just because you put on a few pounds, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, and all of those sorts of conversations. But, you know, these things don't go away, do they? You know, they are, you know,
0: yeah. They're they're, still there, aren't they? Life is still life, isn't it? And It's interesting you say that. I love the phrase new level, new devil, because as we kind of up level in our life, challenges will come up you know our body will require more nourishment will require as much space as we do productivity you know maybe some of those ghosts in the walls or unconscious beliefs are still rumbling away but it's because we're up leveling this is what I found and a big part of my journey was looking at my body as well from a functional medicine so like alcohol is full of sugar isn't it Mm -hmm. and it can kill our gut bugs and feed them and our gut bugs love sugar so you take that away and if you've got dysbiosis or imbalance in the gut then it's possible that those bugs are craving it um, through different means you're still left with those cravings so it's almost looking at the body holistically what is the impact of alcohol and stress Mm -hmm. over those years and what does it need in order to come back into balance like I find that really interesting and you definitely do see this kind of healing crisis like as you're trying to rebalance it can feel a bit shitty and a bit worse to begin with but your body is just learning a new way of being it's coming back to that homeostasis um and to understand to up level to next level you need to have that nervous system kind of flexibility so I think it's completely normal to to have those kind of symptoms and when you're putting yourself out there and you're doing like me with Getting back into my business and stuff—it's pushing myself out of my comfort zone, and there's things that are rumbling up. So I'm just like new level, new devil, like bring oh, it on, good. like I can face it.
1: I, I love that. I've never thought about it like that, and I find that weirdly reassuring, to be honest. Because while right. um, whilst I have had some stress recently, um, uh, I have also been really trying to push myself out of my comfort zone by taking my skills up to the next level and learning more and reading more and listening to more podcasts and blah, blah, blah. I'm I'm, I'm literally bombarding myself at the moment with new education. And so maybe my craving for sugar and almost like my lack of enthusiasm for movement is a response to that stress and that up leveling new level, new devil. I, I I love that.
0: Yeah because you're growing like me massively.
1: Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. fascinating. And it gives me just a, a new appreciation really. Uh makes me feel uh, you know yeah, it makes me feel proud of myself and my body. 100%. Uh, yeah, because it's you know it it's it's having to adapt to situations That have been external but also that are internal so it does make sense why this might be happening so for me now is you know do I just ride that storm and eat that chocolate or do I at some point need to tackle that that's the bit that I (laughs) need to need to get to
0: (laughs) before I go up two dress sizes yeah (laughs) the awareness though isn't it yeah
1: yeah I am really aware of it as well so I keep (laughs) keep saying to my husband I really can't stop eating sugar and I'm just got no motivation for movement it's really annoying me yeah (laughs) Uh, but yeah anyway um so um what would you say has been the hardest bit of sobriety for you if you had to choose
0: one thing I think it's not having that emotional crutch, you know, to suppress my overthinking, my emotions, my kind of hyperactive mind, and maybe, you know, some of the unresolved stuff in the past that has bubbled up that now i faced. It's being forced to face yourself, <laughs> yeah. and that's an obvious positive thing but it can feel painful it can feel Mm. hard and also although it's not so hard now I have to be honest boundaries social circles you know and changing how I interact with people and saying what works for me and this kind of thing that's really required me to step up and put these boundaries in place which I think a lot of us can go through life without kind of doing that so um Definitely those two things.
1: Yeah. Boundaries is a big one, isn't it? I wasn't even aware of boundaries until I started. No, no, was I. <laughs> I, was like, I, what? Didn't,
0: I didn't know what a limit in belief was or a boundary. <laughs> I didn't know what overwhelm meant before I became a man. As like, I suddenly started using this oh world word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's so fun, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it, boundaries is a big one as
1: well, isn't it? Because I do think um I know well, I know certainly I and say for myself I was a big people pleaser as a yeah. in, in my drinking life um and I think that people do struggle with that and I think yes. to, to turn around and say no <laughs> or you know I don't really want to do that or it's you know, massive that, that feels so big um especially in the beginning But I do think you develop strength in that
0: area. And now I have to try and remember to say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm so good at saying no. Honestly, it's so true. Like, I think there's a book called Fuck No. um, But it is all about saying that. And actually, like, boundaries are... The space required to love yourself and others and I just see that really lovely that boundaries is about fostering relationships and having meaningful relationships on your terms terms yeah. it's not about pushing people away and isolating yourself and I think it is really about connection but we all do connection differently like I get overwhelmed by big groups so I like one-to-one interaction um unless I'm at a festival rocking out which I can do very well sober by the way I went to a 12 hour rave not long ago in Glasgow and going again in December and honestly oh, like amazing. it was incredible and I drove home after and I was wired because it was so good but I felt amazing and I didn't realize how disgusting the floors are in those places because I didn't used to be aware of that yeah um but yeah, I think it's about looking at this from a loving perspective, mm. because the more you love yourself, you can love others and you also liberate others as well. Um, so, yeah. I also think people um, respect boundaries as well. Yeah.
1: You, know, you think that you yeah. feel the worst, don't you, when you say no to somebody or, you know, well, actually, that, that doesn't really work. People tend to really respect that. 100%. Um, and, but yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? Because you, you just don't think that they will. You think that they're going to be annoyed at you. But I think, I do think that sometimes deep down, people think, oh, I wish I could be <laughs> so Our good brain, problem. we can't always trust our brain. Yeah. No, absolutely right. Um, so
0: flipping it, what has been the biggest gain in sobriety for you? Oh, sorry. I probably answered that a little bit my health reducing inflammation yes weight loss but like you mentioned it's addressing blood sugar balance microbiome nervous system all the things around that but i've had the capacity and inclination headspace to do that um my skin like you know, oh my God, I posted a picture of me nine years ago, drinking a woo-woo in weatherspoons. And then now I look younger. And even my wedding, my wedding was another story. I didn't mention that. Um, (laughs) Wedding engagement, like just a look kind of, you know, oily skin and bags under my eyes, I look different. So I feel younger. I feel more energized. I feel in charge of my own thoughts and like spirit and what comes up for me um and i see the world the way that i am supposed to see it like i'm a bit of a kind of truth seeker and i can see through kind of bullshit and i know what's important to me and my values and i know what health truly means and well-being and that essentially The healthier and happiest we are is when we're connected to nature and people and good food and, you know, the simple life away from tech and what we're being told by the media. So I feel like I can see the truth much more clearly and I can live my life in alignment with my values, which ultimately has an impact on how I parent Bonnie and the world that I want to create for her. And I've got all this knowledge and wisdom that I can share with her just by being me you know if she goes down certain paths and things I can guide her I can have those conversations so it feels powerful
1: yeah yeah it is so empowering isn't it um
0: has it changed your relationship interesting to so Dan can like have a pint a year and be fine like he's a very different drinker to me and he's actually pretty much given up alcohol as well so we're a proper team you know we both eat the same foods we're into the same kind of things we have the same thought processes we're learning to communicate better he's very logical I'm very emotional I'll come be like I can I know when there's something up with him and trigger poke him um so I think it's really helped us be more connected more respectful of each other um validate each other learn different love languages in order to communicate um yes definitely because you know he used to get a bit embarrassed of me and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it definitely helped our relationship it's a much truer um relationship we see each other for who we are and um yes we're a team
1: there must be um a lot of tr- lot of trust there as well um, yeah. because you can trust yourself can't you so much more when you don't drink and you're you know you're not going to drink and so yeah. that fosters more trust in 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 a partner mm. um yeah okay so we're coming towards the end it's been such a great chat um just flown by so what would you say your top three tips are on on getting and staying sober
0: i would say prioritize yourself and trust that life can be so much more enriching and fulfilling um Be brave enough to go your way, even if it's against the societal norms or your social circles or what you've been um, led to to believe. And understand that when you almost take away that kind of suppressive layer or syrup, (laughs) you know, the truth does come up and that's the journey recovery or however you want to call it is to recover your authentic self. That's when it begins. But the payoff, I think you said to me, Terry, anything worth doing isn't easy, but it a hundred percent is worth doing because I think you really get to know yourself and you start to love yourself and like yourself and health becomes like this self-discovery adventure like where can you take it where can you expand your kind of inner knowing and what you're able to do and with your career and with your life like I think there's just so many more possibilities and opportunities and obviously your body is your home so being able to nourish and nurture that it will serve you.
1: Oh, I love, absolutely love those. Yeah. Prioritize yourself, be brave. And it's almost manage your expectations, you know, yes. expect it to be bumpy, but yeah. it's such a rewarding
0: journey. Um, Someone said to me once, Annie, you're on a roller coaster, but you got your seat belt on. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, well, that's like motherhood, isn't it? You know, yes. ro- life is a roller coaster and it's a and um, Ronan Keaton stuff but you can put your seatbelt on like you're in it for the ride you're there for the lessons it's going to be ups and downs but through that you you learn more about you you get resources and you get that kind of resilience and bounce back ability so yeah it's worth it
1: absolutely um so if you're open
0: to sharing your journey how can people find you um, so Annie Breen, I'm under on Instagram and I think there's two little lines each side. I don't know what you call them. Underscore. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, that, that's my main account. I try not to, I don't really like Facebook that much. Um, I, I am on there, but, um, Instagram and then my podcast is behind the mother mask and you can get the links for Instagram and my website is anniebreennutrition.co.uk
1: oh and it's been so brilliant thank you so much for today and uh i'm so happy to be connected with you um i i yeah share a lot of your perspectives on life and, and you talk a language that i understand and appreciate um so yeah looking forward to how
0: your journey unfolds and yeah staying connected so thank you so much Oh, same with you. And thank you so much. It's been amazing. And, and can I just say I'm really inspired by the other people who have shared their stories on your podcast, especially younger, in their 20s. That's incredible. But everyone, so yeah, thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. <laughs>
1: All right. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.
0: Well, thank you, Annie. And <laughs> Thank you, Terry. <laughs> that was awesome but honestly it was really awesome to be able to have that conversation and that opportunity to share a part of my story that i've not shared before because i think it's really really relevant. (laughs) It's really relevant that we sometimes just kind of pack some of this stuff from the past behind and we don't really see how that has a huge impact on our now and our future. And if this is you, and maybe it's not exactly you, but you can relate to a version of my story, know that you are not alone and that there is a path forward and that life can be, oh my goodness, so much more fulfilling, so much more vibrant, so much more full of energy and on your terms and I'd really just invite you to to reach out, to reach out, even if it's just to have a bit of a chat to get that kind of, that journey going for you. I, like I said at the beginning, I'm gonna be running my Break Your Binge Cycle webinar. Maybe you don't consider yourself to be a binger and it is more this kind of gray lane drinker or maybe you just aren't happy with your behaviors. You know that you're you not necessarily got a problem an inverted commas or an addiction or anything like that. You're just not happy. You know that you can feel so much better. Um, this webinar, masterclass, whatever, is for you because it's not really about the behavior. We're gonna go behind that to what is driving the behavior and look at how we can make long lasting change away from these kind of quick fix solutions and crutches. So please do go to the show notes and sign up for that. Um, It is on the 16th of December. At the beginning I said it was on the 8th, but it's the 16th. But I will be posting about that on Instagram. So follow me on Instagram, join my mailing list. I'll make sure the links are in the show notes and you'll keep up to date with when I'll be delivering that and what I've got going on. Okay, wonderful. I hope you have a good week. Um, Take care and I'll be back next week with another episode of Behind the Mother Maths.